News of the Times, Murderous Mondays, Bermondsey Tragedy. Welcome to News of the Times. In today's episode, it is 1872, and a terrible family tragedy takes place in Bermondsey. The case, with its whiff of scandal also associated with it, becomes a national news headline and created a considerable debate regarding the plea of insanity. William James Taylor, a violent man who has done time in prison, is released only to find that his wife refuses to go back to him due to his violent nature. Taylor instead then begins an intimacy with his wife's sister, with whom he has one child, the sister also bringing another child from a previous relationship with her. Taylor's propensity for violence is not abated with his new family. On the 13th of July, he runs out of his house into the street, his throat terribly slashed. Finding a constable, he frantically points to his throat and to the house from which he has come. Illicit relations, jealousy, brutality, and murder within Bermondsey is today's episode of Murderous Mondays. We very much hope you enjoy the show. Today's episode of 1872 looks at a family tragedy that took place in Bermondsey and created national headlines at the time. William James Taylor, aged 39, is an iron merchant. Taylor has had many prior run-ins with the law due to his violent temperament. He has been brought to police for the beatings he has inflicted on his wife. From the Illustrated Police News, the 13th of July, 1872, the fearful tragedy in Bermondsey. Shortly before one o'clock on Sunday morning last week, two frightful murders were committed in Bermondsey. The perpetrator of the crimes was a man named William James Taylor, aged 39, a wholesale dealer in old iron. For several years, he carried on an extensive business in the Grange Road in Bermondsey. The police have had him in custody upon two occasions for violent assault. On one occasion, his wife threatened to separate from him, when he seized her by the throat and beat her on the head with his fists. He was sentenced to imprisonment for the assaults, and while he was incarcerated, his wife went to her friends in the country, and after his liberation from jail, she refused to return to live with him. She also took with her one child. Taylor then starts an intimacy with his wife's sister, Susanna Hebden, who begins to call herself Mrs. Taylor upon moving in with him. The relationship is volatile over the six-year period that they are together. One child, Francis, is born to them. Taylor continues to be a violent man. Neighbours have gotten used to hearing screams and cries from the house. The build-up. An incident occurred two days before the fateful crime which gives a warning to all involved of the danger Susanna and her children are in. 
From the Illustrated Police News, the 13th of July, 1872. Fearful tragedy in Bermondsey. Taylor then lived with his wife's sister, a widow named Susanna Hebden, who went by the name of Mrs. Taylor. She had by Taylor a daughter named Frances. On Wednesday, after a dreadful quarrel, Taylor rushed out of his house into the street and said to a policeman, I have stabbed my wife. I have murdered her. He was then under the influence of drink, and he had a large table knife in his hand. The policeman entered the house and found the woman Susanna Hebden lying on the floor of the first floor back room insensible. But she had not been stabbed. She had been rendered insensible by a blow on the head which Taylor had given her. Taylor was arrested and the woman recovered. The man was taken before the police magistrate on Thursday, who fined him five shillings for being drunk and discharged him. He returned to the house at 12 Webb Street, which is one door from Ebenezer Baptist Chapel, which had been attended by the woman Susanna Hebden. On the Friday evening he was sober, and the woman induced him to remain at home with her and the two children. On that night no quarrel occurred. The Crime A few days later, Taylor frantically runs out of his house, clutching his throat, which is gushing blood, and points to his house in the road to the constable on the street. From the Illustrated Police News, the 13th of July, 1872, fearful tragedy in Bermondsey. On Saturday, Taylor drank three half-pints of rum, and then he became furious. At about one o'clock on a Sunday morning, screams were heard from the house, and Mrs. Longley, a grocer living next door, through the walls which divided her house from number 12, heard a boy cry out, Oh, don't, father, don't! You've nearly killed me already! The cry was followed by the sound of heavy blows. In a few minutes, all the cries ceased, and the door of house number 12 was opened, and Taylor ran out into the street. He ran up to the police constable William Marsh and a costermonger named William Pritchard, who were standing near the house. His throat was cut in a frightful manner, and blood was flowing from it. He was unable to speak, but he pointed towards the house, and the police officer and a constable named Bridgman entered it. The interior was in darkness, and the policemen turned on the lights of their bull's eyes and entered the back room on the first floor. On entering the room, they saw on a bed, which lay up on the floor in a corner of the room opposite the window, the woman, covered with blood and dreadfully wounded. She was quite insensible and died twenty minutes afterwards. At the foot of the same bed lay the dead body of the girl, Frances Hebden, aged five years. Her skull had been beaten in. In the corner of the room, close to the window, lay Moses Hebden, a boy aged thirteen years. He was fearfully injured about the head, and his skull was fractured. 
The doctor was sent for, and in a few minutes he arrived and ordered the removal of the lad to the infirmary of St. Olav's workhouse. The doctor and the police then carefully examined the room in order to discover the instrument with which the terrible crimes had been committed, and they found two weapons. One was a bar of iron, ten inches in length, covered with blood. The doctor declared that the fatal injuries had been inflicted with that weapon, as well as those upon the head of Moses Hebden. The other weapon was a clasp knife, and it was stained with blood. With that knife, the man Taylor had cut his throat. Both weapons were found lying upon the bed close to the woman. The doctor then examined the wound in the throat of the man Taylor, and he found that he had cut the windpipe completely through and some of the small arteries in such a dreadful manner that he could not speak. He was instantly conveyed to Guy's hospital. The doctor then carefully examined the body of the dead girl and gave it as his opinion that she must have received the injuries on her skull whilst she was sitting up in bed. It is therefore supposed that she was watching Taylor while he was killing her mother on the floor near the bed. The table and chairs had been overturned, and the whole room presented an appearance as if a fearful struggle had occurred. The mother and child are taken to the morgue. Taylor himself is rushed to a hospital, whilst police try to piece together what they believe had happened. Meanwhile, Taylor, within the hospital grounds now, becomes a threat to others. From the Illustrated Police News, the 13th of July, 1872, Fearful Tragedy in Bermondsey. An eyewitness gives the following account of a dreadful scene which occurred in the hospital shortly after the admission of Taylor. The patient, having been placed on a bed in the Cornelius ward, appeared to be quite calm and showed no signs of insanity. We examined his throat and found that it was cut from left to right. The wound which divided the windpipe was an inch and a half in length and depth. The man, who was very powerful, lay quite calm. He placed his hand across the wound in his throat and then whispered for a slate and pencil, which we handed to him. We then bandaged up the wound and he was allowed to get the slate. We'll be back after a quick break. I'm Michael Severs, the writer, producer, and creator of The Silver King's War, a podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Stanley L. Silverfield, a first lieutenant in the United States Army Air Corps from Birmingham, Alabama, rode in the nose the greenhouse of the famed Martin Marauder. You can find The Silver King's War wherever you listen to podcasts. He wrote a statement in which he said, A military man named Coe has done this. I was asleep in my room in bed when I was woken up by Coe entering the room. But before he did so, 
he knocked at the door. I heard him knock. He then struck me on the head. We then examined the patient's skull and found it fractured on the right side, evidently by a severe blow. We again handed the slate to him, and he wrote upon it, The man cut my throat. We then saw no reason to doubt about his statement, he being apparently perfectly sane, and we did not strap him down, but we should have done so had we been informed that he had committed two murders and then attempted to destroy his own life. At about eight o'clock in the morning, the patient suddenly jumped out of bed, ran out of the ward, entered the woman's ward, and got hold of the tongs. This ward is on the second floor, and one of the nurses in it became so alarmed that she leapt out of the window. She fell on the ground, but she was not injured. The man then threw away the tongs, and catching hold of the cloak weights, tore them down and threw them about the ward. He then ran into one of the corridors, and the violence of his exertions caused the blood to flow from his wounds. He then put his finger in the blood and wrote on the wall, Poison me, kill me, let me die, put me out of my misery. He then ran to a window on the first floor and jumped out of it into the grounds beneath. The window was only six feet from the ground. He was not injured and having been secured by the hospital servants, he was carried back to the bed and strapped down. Taylor remains in a precarious state. Susanna Hebden, the mother, and the little girl, Frances, die. The older son survives, albeit in a very weakened state, but he is able to recount the events of the day. There was no other man. The murders all came from Taylor himself. From the Illustrated Police News, the 13th of July, 1872. The Bermondsey Murders. It is stated that the wretched man Taylor is going on as well as can be expected, considering the shocking injuries he inflicted upon himself. He is able to take nourishment and can ask for what he requires in a sort of a whisper. It has been deemed advisable not to keep him tied down so securely as he had been at first, and his comparative freedom seems to have produced good effect upon his general condition. He has constantly in attendance upon him a nurse and a policeman. No positive opinion can as yet be given as to his recovery. All that can be said of him is that he lies in a very precarious position, and that all depends upon what change time may bring about. The surgeons feel some confidence that he may yet recover, but this belief is based principally upon the fact of his having remained alive for about a week after the shocking occurrence. During the past week, Taylor recovered sufficiently to write instructions to his eldest son, respecting various accounts 
connected with his business as a dealer in old iron. Previously, and while in a state of frenzy, he had endeavoured to impute the crime to another person. Now, whilst comparatively calm, he said to the policeman that it was a bad job. An operation has been performed on him. There is a depressed bone of the skull. That injury is considered to be almost the more dangerous of the two. Although the wound in the throat has far affected the windpipe as to render speech a matter of extreme difficulty. The inquest. An inquest is held with several delays in hoping that Taylor himself will improve enough to be able to attend. He is described in the inquest as a very well-built and rather handsome man and must have been possessed of great constitutional strength to enable him to survive so long the fearful wounds under which he suffers. The boy, Moses Hebden, who was attacked at the time of the murder in the same brutal manner as the other victims, remains in Bermondsey Workhouse in a very delicate condition. Taylor's precarious state of recovery drags on, but the inquest and investigations continue regardless. From the Illustrated Police News, 20th of July, 1872, The Bermondsey Murder. On Wednesday night, Mr. Hall, coroner for West Surrey, resumed his investigations into the circumstances attending the death of Susanna Hebden, aged 41, and that of her daughter, Frances Hebden, aged five years. After hearing the evidence, the jury returned a verdict of willful murder against William James Taylor. The coroner then issued his warrant for the trial of the accused at the Central Criminal Court. Inspector Watson said that the house surgeon at Guy's Hospital had informed him that Taylor, who had cut his throat, was in a sinking state and was very much exhausted. However, Taylor eventually recovers, although he is no longer able to speak above a whisper. From the Illustrated Police News, the 10th of August, 1872, the murder in Bermondsey. Samuel William Taylor, who was found guilty by the coroner's jury of willfully murdering his wife and child, and who afterwards attempted suicide and now lies at Guy's Hospital, has during the last few days had a change which leaves little hope of his recovery. Sometime after he was removed to the hospital, under the treatment he received in this hospital, he appeared to make great progress towards recovery, and from the fact of his being able to take light food and other refreshments, his ultimate recovery from the injury inflicted on his throat was considered probable. On Monday, he became so violent as to lead to the supposition that his intellect was gone, and it was absolutely necessary to bind him down in bed. Taylor's off-again, on-again violence requires him to be constantly monitored. Taylor eventually is considered strong enough to be tried, 
the trial takes place at the Old Bailey. There is no question of his guilt, although Taylor pleads not guilty and yet does not admit to insanity. From the Western Times, the 1st of November, 1872, the Bermondsey Murders. At the Central Criminal Court on Wednesday, before Mr Justice Keating, William James Taylor, 38, described as a dealer, was placed at the bar to take his trial for the willful murder of Susanna Hebden. There was a second indictment against a prisoner for the willful murder of a child four years old named Frances Hebden, the daughter of the deceased. The prisoner pleaded not guilty to both indictments. The charge of murdering the woman, Susanna Hebden, was one that was proceeded with. The fact of the case were of a very painful nature. The prisoner had cohabited with the deceased woman, Susanna Hebden, who was about his own age for six years, and there was this disgraceful fact in relation to the connection that existed between them, that the deceased was the sister of the prisoner's wife. The parties frequently quarrelled, and there did not appear to be any doubt that the prisoner was jealous of the deceased, and suspected that she carried on an intimacy with other men, and only a very short time before the fatal occurrence the prisoner appeared to have made an attack upon the deceased with a knife. The fatal occurrence took place on the night of Saturday the 29th of June, or rather early on the morning of the following day, and it will be recollected that the prisoner, after committing the desperate act of which he was accused, made a most determined attempt at self-destruction by cutting his throat and for a considerable time his life was despaired of, and it was not until within the last two or three weeks that he was considered to be in a condition to take his trial. On the night in question the prisoner had no doubt been drinking. Late in the night a noise was heard in the room occupied by the prisoner and the deceased, and shortly afterwards the prisoner appeared to have gone into the street and addressed a police constable and pointed to a terrible wound in his throat. At first it was thought by the constable that someone else had inflicted the injury, and the constable took him back to his lodgings, where the deceased woman, her child Francis, and her other child, Moses Hebden, were found to have received fearful injuries. The two Deceased persons were at this time alive, but they died in about twenty minutes, and it appeared that the other child, Moses, had also received a very serious injuries, but after being unconscious for a considerable time, he rallied and ultimately recovered, and he was examined as a witness. The prisoner was very violent and excited after he had been removed to the hospital, and he jumped out of a window and armed himself with a poker and some clock weights, and it was a considerable time before he could be again secured. These were the facts of the case, and the only question was whether the prisoner was of sound mind at the time the act 
was committed. Taylor was acquitted on the grounds of insanity. The jury stated that they believed the prisoner was insane at the time he committed the offence with which he had been charged. Mr Justice Keating thereupon directed him to be detained during His Majesty's pleasure. The acquittal based on insanity caused an uproar within the papers with many believing that he had just been drunk at the time. With the uproar surrounding the verdict, details of his removal to an insane asylum, most likely Broadmoor, are not published. We've searched archives and can find no specific mention of Taylor being moved to Broadmoor Prison. However, we have found records of a William Tylor within Broadmoor around the same time. A sad case all around. People at the time felt he had gotten away with it, and it opened up once again questions surrounding the insanity plea. That concludes this episode of Murderous Mondays, the Bermondsey tragedy. We very much hope you enjoyed the show. If you did enjoy this show, we would be grateful if you could like or subscribe to our channel. We are passionate about historical crime and do our best to present interesting cases from long ago that go beyond the usual fare. For our listeners and subscribers, thank you. We so very much appreciate the many supporters and subscribers who have helped us to build this channel. The News of the Times team all appreciate each of you for your help. We upload four days a week. Saturdays are Serial Killer Saturdays, where we do an in-depth look at a serial killer from our extensive database. The time spans of these ranges from as early as the mid-16th century to the 21st century and encompasses men, women, children and couples who kill. Mondays are murderous where we investigate in depth a historical murder. Wednesdays are wicked where we pull together stories of a similar theme, such as stories of murders by starvation. And Fridays are frightful, with stories that are grouped by geographic location, allowing us to share lesser-known grisly crime stories. From all of us at the News of the Times team, thank you again for watching or listening. This has been News of the Times, and I am Robin Coles.